Welcome to Business Lens, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, and I am joined, as always, by Chris Hill, host of Motley Fool Money, which is the number one stock investing radio show in America, not just Whistling Dixie on that, folks. You can look up the numbers. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks for having me. You're fitting me into a very busy schedule. You just ran, well, not this very instant, but you just ran from a big name interview you just did. And I'm going to make you uh, jump out ahead of the release of this interview and give us a sneak peek. Who'd you talk to? Mark Cuban, for any fans of Shark Tank or possibly the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, yeah, had a, a fun conversation with Mark Cuban. That is going to be on Sunday. This coming Sunday, uh, for folks who want to check it out in the Motley Fool Money podcast feed, um, yeah, great to tease talk us. with him. Yeah, tease us. What? It, what? Anything? What are people going to hear when they when they tune into that and subscribe to Motley Fool Money? So it's it, it's interesting, Matt. Billionaires um, get uh, chided for a number of reasons, and I'm not saying it's an entirely um, unfair. Um, I think that sort of comes with the territory when you have that much money in the world. But I personally find it interesting that while there are some billionaires who are really interested in buying social media platforms or going to space, um, Mark Cuban, his latest initiative is actually taking on the prescription drug industry. He's, uh, he's got a new initiative called um, uh, Cost Plus Drugs. Dot com. Um, people can go there. It's basically looking at prescription drugs, asking the question, why is this so expensive? Is there a way to cut out the middleman? And he's built this business. And I got to give him credit, Matt, because quite simply, he didn't have to do this. Right. Um, you know, this, in fact, that was my first question to him. Why are you doing this? Um, this is, you know, because if, if he had come out and announced, I'm launching a new business, it is a nationwide chain of pasta restaurants. Come on down to Mark Cuban's Pasta Bar. There would be people in the restaurant industry who would not be happy about that. They would think, well, there's competition I'm dealing with. Olive Garden would not be happy about that. But the restaurant industry is not as fraught with as many thorny issues as the prescription drug industry is. So I, I find his latest business initiative to be pretty interesting. I did also ask him about investing because as anyone who has watched shark tank knows he is an investor um and uh, i'll just uh spoiler alert he's watching the stock market right now but he personally is not buying stocks right now he is waiting he thinks the market has further to fall um we'll see if he's right about that but um anyway a very fun conversation we talked about a lot of things related to Prescri uh, prescription drugs, pharmacies, uh, the sports world, because he doesn't own the Dallas Mavericks. So we talked about that uh, and some new stuff he's doing in professional sports outside of basketball. So very fun conversation. Fascinating stuff. And uh, people can check that out in the Motley Fool Money podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, you know, if you're listening to this, you're, you're probably subscribed to Beyond Politics. And if you're not, please Please do. All right. Uh, let's get into some other happenings here. You wanted to talk about the news that inflation is cooling off. And since we talked about this before the show, you know, we were kind of spitballing. What should we talk about? And uh, since then, there's some further breaking news, which is that wholesale prices rose just 
12% in October, which is less than expected. And uh, the produce, the the, uh, the the producer price index um, overall just just 0.2%. Um, the Dow Jones estimate for that was a 0.4% increase. So it's a weird story. I just threw some numbers out of people, and I know our listeners are very sophisticated here. But what we're saying here is things still went up, but less than we thought that they would, and that is good. Is that is that basically the takeaway? Absolutely. And I think that, you know, we go back to last week, we got the consumer price index uh, report, a a monthly index of just what does stuff cost um, across a wide range of categories, including uh, food and energy and uh, all sorts of things. And um, same thing where the increase was lower than expected, uh, which means that prices are coming down. Inflation is cooling off. Uh, we saw a huge spike for the stock market last Thursday as a result of this. We're seeing a rise here on Tuesday as well, based largely off of this report. Uh, there are some other numbers we can get into related to Walmart as well. But um, in general, these are positive signs for the market, positive signs for investors and consumers. The fact that prices um, uh, appear to be slowing down for anyone and I count myself uh, as one in this category for anyone who is looking to buy a used car we're seeing those prices come down and the, the longer you can wait the the lower the prices are going to go so for folks who don't necessarily need a used car right away they can afford to wait a few months uh, the prices are almost certainly going to be lower in 2023 than we're seeing right now so um we are starting to see, think of it as a puzzle. We're getting more pieces filling in the puzzle, Matt. And right now it's looking like when the puzzle is finished, it's going to look like a picture of the inflation ride is over and we are in the clear. Now, we have many more pieces to fill in between now and the end of the puzzle, but the last few pieces we've gotten are certainly pointing in that direction. And it would not surprise me at all if sometime in the spring, we look back on November 2022 and say, oh, yeah, that was the bottom for the market. That's when we should have known that was the bottom. I want to tease out just one thread from the numbers we saw this morning, and it stood out to me. And I wonder what you make of it. A, a contributor to the slowdown inflation was a 0.1% decline, an an absolute decline in the services component of the index. And that seemed significant to me. It was the first decline in that particular measure for services since November, 2020. It stood out because you and I had talked in late summer about the possibility that as Big companies looked to staff up. Now, we're talking more retailers here, but there was a shortfall in all kinds of sectors, an inability to hire people for relatively lower wage jobs. And so the concern was, gosh, especially as the pre-holiday hiring boom sets in, we could see employees bidding up wages and that could reignite inflation. That services number at least suggests to me that that's not happening. What's do you do you have other atmospherics of, of what's going on there? Is that does that story kind of hold together for you? 
I'm not sure at this point. Um, I think, you know, to, to go back to the puzzle analogy, I think there are still large pieces of this that still need to be sorted out. Um, what we do know for certain is that the Federal Reserve, some of the, the governors on the, on the Federal Reserve Board have come out in the last week or so and have clearly indicated that more rate hikes are coming, um, that they do not view their job as being finished at this point. Hmm. Um, and they are very clearly willing to risk recession uh, if it means taming inflation. And I totally understand why they would say that. Um, I'm getting, you know, every once in a while, Matt, I will get, there will be something going on in the investing world that will result in my non-investing friends and family members reaching out to me and saying, what do you think about this? And that's when I know something is really broken through. You can go back a couple of years with the meme stock craze. And, you know, I had friends from college texting me saying, what, what, what about GameStop? Should I be buying GameStop? You know, that sort of thing. And um, last night, I got a, a DM on Twitter from a friend of mine out of the blue, just like, sir, are we in a recession? And basically what I said to my friend was, if we are, it's looking like it's going to be a mild recession because of where unemployment is right now. Um, so I, I know that's not necessarily the most satisfactory answer, uh, but it's the truth. I, 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 don't, I don't feel comfortable sort of making a proclamation at this point, just because there are significant data points that we're going to get between now and December 31st. And then into January, we'll start getting some holiday retail data as well. So um, we'll see. But I like the direction we're heading in. It's very different from March of this year, where between the earnings reports that were coming out, the reaction from Wall Street and the macro data in March of this year, I thought to myself, oh, we are in for a rough ride and it is a downhill ride. Well, it's I mean, first of all, if it does turn out that we end up landing this plane somehow after all that turbulence and it's relatively smooth and we don't have a technical recession or if it's even just a very mild recession, that would be pretty remarkable and not a bad outcome at all. But one of those pictures to the puzzle that you say is beginning to coalesce seems to be inventories. Can you, can you update us on what's going on with inventories and why are they significant? For much of this year, the story for retailers has been about how inventory is stacking up. We saw it in the late spring, or early summer from major retailers like Walmart and Target, especially saying, boy, we're, we are just backing up. We have so much stuff. Everything must go. Um, a big part of that was out of their control in terms of the supply chain. Um, and then through the summer and into the fall, we started to get some data. Um, and this is, I know, going to be incredibly sexy for your listeners. Um, we started get, to get some data around shipping ports on the West Coast. Ooh, go on. I know. I know. <laughs> Tell me more. Yes. Um, we started to get data from shipping ports on the West Coast that really indicated that things were moving through more quickly. We were not getting the backup which meant that the supply chain was starting to open back up in a much more significant, meaningful way. Uh, this morning, we got the latest earnings report from Walmart, and they had a great quarter, the uh, third quarter profits and revenue, both higher than expected. The thing that interested me the most in their earnings report was uh, the way they talked about their inventory glut coming down in a pretty significant way. 
And keep in mind, this is at a time when inventory for Walmart, and by the way, all retailers should be at their highest point because it's mid-November and the holiday season is the most important season. So, you know, you sort of have to factor in the time of year there, but the inventory backup for Walmart is going in the right direction. I am not a Walmart shareholder. Um, uh, today's one of those days when I wish I were a Walmart shareholder because the stock is doing very well as a result of their latest earnings report. Um, but I think, it, you know, because of Walmart's importance as a business in America, um, this sort of uh, sets the bar. And now we get to see later in the week as other retailers report what we hear from them in terms of their inventory numbers, hopefully, uh, I don't want to say as Walmart goes, so goes all retailers because every business is different. But hopefully it is an indication that other retailers are starting to see their supply chains open up. They are dealing with their inventory back up um, in a much better way. And, um, uh, you know, hopefully we sort of get the best of both worlds where the businesses are in better shape. But as consumers, there are still bargains to be had as we're doing our holiday shopping. So the significance of looking at inventories is, first of all, it's an indicator of, of supply chains. And that's been obviously a topic on all of our minds because they've been snarled. And that's one of the primary drivers of inflation. It sounds like you're also saying, and forgive me for the very simple level question here, but it sounds like you're also saying that they're just bad for business because when you have stuff in inventory, it's a pure cost. It's just stuff that you're paying to have sitting there that you're not selling to customers. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And, and let me make one distinction there, which is um, a business like Target, which has done very well over the past decade under the leadership of Brian Cornell, the CEO. And one of the reasons it's done well is because Brian Cornell, one of the big decisions he made last decade was he looked at the pharmacy business at Target, decided this is not really a business we want to keep. We're going to sell this business to CVS. And so now when you go into a Target, when you go to the pharmacy, technically it is a CVS pharmacy inside of a Target. And Cornell took the money from selling that business to Target and invested in their own merchandise. He said, we're going to grow out our apparel line. And for much of the past eight years or so, that has worked out very well for Target and for Target shareholders. The problem becomes when you have an inventory glut, because if Walmart has inventory from other apparel makers, when they get an inventory backup, it is not as expensive to them. There are ways of dealing with that uh, other apparel maker and discounting that merchandise. When you're Target and you make your own in-house brand apparel and you own that apparel, when you are taking a hit on the inventory line, it is a bigger hit. It is a more significant hit. It is why earlier this year, when both Target and Walmart came out and talked about having inventory problems, it was a bigger hit to Target and to shares of Target because of their in-house apparel. Really interesting. And see, we did it. We made port congestion sexy. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about a very unpleasant topic. Look, it's 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 sort of, there's a sort of schadenfreude when you hear about big executives getting laid off because, you know, they're top one percenters and it's like, ha, see, 
difficulties hit you too. I don't want to engage in that on this show because these are people losing their jobs. And so, you know, as much as we all like to hate on and dunk on Twitter, for example, I took no joy from the announcements of so many layoffs happening at Twitter over the last week or two. But it turns out that that big story that's been in the news is maybe obscuring other layoffs that are happening and concentrated in the executive and the tech ranks at other companies. Uh, what's going on with that story? Yeah, we've gotten announcements recently from Facebook and Amazon um, uh, announcing layoffs. Um, this is, as you said, you never like to hear about people losing their jobs. Um, and presumably these are people with uh, families that um, they're trying to support. So um, we take no pleasure in this. Um, from a business analysis standpoint, um, these are not huge numbers relative to the number of employees at companies the size of Facebook and Amazon. Um, and yes, there is a, a pretty significant concentration in the executive ranks, in the tech ranks. In some cases, we're looking at divisions that are being shut down um, that maybe matters uh, not at all to the people who are losing their jobs. Um, but you know, while these are headlines worth paying attention to, um, it's not what we saw in 2008, 2009. It's not you know, massive layoffs across the board um, affecting employees of every level from sort of the most basic minimum wage or maybe just above minimum wage all the way to the, um, the C-suite. Um, this, is, this is pretty concentrated for right now. It's absolutely worth watching because we've heard other companies talking about this as well. Microsoft earlier this fall uh, shut down a division that resulted in uh, somewhere close to a thousand people being laid off. Um, again, it, it didn't get categorized as a layoff. It got categorized as we're shutting down this division. But again, if you're losing your job, you probably don't care about how it's being categorized. So um, I think, it, it, look, uh, I'll go back to my friend who sent me the DM on Twitter saying, hey, are we in a recession? I think that this is something that a lot of people are watching and are worried about. And I completely understand that. I would just say that the, the signs that we're getting right now do not strike me as being as big as the signs that we got in 2008 and 2009. Well, first of all, it's a good thing that the job market remains hot. So we will cross our fingers for all those people who have lost their jobs that they will soon find brand new jobs and, and good ones at that. It does sort of beg a little bit of a question for me, though. You talk about these big, profitable companies that have shown that they're willing to make strategic investments in the future. And we've talked on this show a great deal about the difficulty that many companies across many sectors have had hiring good people. It makes me wonder if you're a Facebook or an Amazon or a Microsoft, if you were shutting down a division, and that may be true, maybe not just a euphemism, and you've got a thousand good people, many of whom may be doing a good job for you and have a lot of capabilities why wouldn't you find a way to redeploy them to areas that you're investing in? Why wouldn't you retain that talent, given the difficulty of finding new talent? Is that in itself a bad sign? Uh, some of that is going on. Um, so you know, that we're absolutely seeing indications where people are 
being approached within large companies and saying, hey, look, we're getting ready to shut down this initiative. You're great at what you do. We want to put, or it's we're de-emphasizing X. We want you over here working on Y. And in some cases, people say, great, I'm, I'm interested in that, or I'm happy to do that, or I'm not happy, happy to do that, but I'm happy to have health insurance. So I'm going to go do that. But in some cases, people are saying, no, that doesn't interest me. And I'll take whatever severance you're offering instead. So again, it's, it's, it's one more indication that this is not as bad at this point in the process. This is not as bad as what we saw during the Great Recession. What we saw back then was um, more companies laying off more people across more levels uh, than what we're seeing right now. So um, it's, it's, um, it's not great to see, but uh, you know, the small solace is, well, it's not as bad as we saw 13 years ago. I see. So maybe the very fact that there is a hot job market and people feel like they have alternatives is a factor in all this. But is this happening within an overall atmosphere of belt tightening or companies kind of making strategic decisions that suggest that they're being a little bit more conservative in their approach? Belt tightening is a phrase that is going to be repeated over and over for the rest of this year and into 2023. We're going to hear more company executives in interviews and on quarterly earnings conference calls talking about how we're tightening our belts um, because they want to avoid layoffs. They want, you know, they want to um, view layoffs as essentially a last resort. And so instead they're looking at things like, what can we, you know, we saw this recently uh, from uh, the Walt Disney company uh, late on Friday of last week, CEO Bob Chapek reportedly sent a memo to the heads of the divisions within the Disney corporation talking about the measures that they were going to take to tighten their belts. It included things like cutting down on corporate travel, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Um, They're going to look to cut costs where they can and layoffs are for all intents and purposes, a last resort um, because these companies know what it takes to hire people. They know how long it takes. They've, in a lot of cases, you've got people running companies that were, if they weren't running the company in 2008 and 2009, at least they were somewhere in the executive ranks. So they lived through this once before and they know how long it takes to staff back up, which is why the smartest companies view layoffs as really the last resort. We don't want to do that. We want to keep people in house. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of companies are just going to be looking at what can we do to save money? We're certainly seeing this in the advertising industry where we're getting more and more reports that company, and not just on Twitter, where um, there are dozens of large companies that are pausing the money they're spending on Twitter because they're not sure about the new owner and the direction of the company. Um, But even beyond Twitter, we're seeing companies pull back on their marketing spend. That's a a financial lever they can pull and control. And it makes sense to do that, particularly as they start to think about how they want to set their business up for success in 2023. So yeah, if belt tightening were something you could bet on, uh, I, I, it's just being like, how many times does this appear in a Google News search? I would be betting on that. So to sum up basically what we've been saying in this episode, it sounds like there are some indications that we may be hitting the end of the inflation wild ride sometime soon in the next couple of quarters. 
we may not be there yet. The Fed might continue to be as stringent as they have been. And in the meantime, companies are really battening down the hatches for some potential continued turbulence, choppy waters. I'm mixing metaphors there. And they're just positioning themselves to not have to take the really painful deep cuts that they might otherwise have to take. Absolutely. And for some of these companies, it's it's like playing beat the clock. They're just trying to get their inventory cleared out. They're trying to get all their financial ducks in a row before the sand runs out of the glass. Uh, it sounds uh, encouraging-ish, maybe, but maybe not. We will have to wait and see. In the meantime, if you're waiting for the picture to resolve, you could do a lot worse than to subscribe to this show, to Beyond Politics, and also to Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America, and for that upcoming Mark Cuban interview. Thanks so much, Chris Hill. Thank you, Matt. 